Those are not the sounds you would hear at Marvel Strike Force, but it is a fantastic game, Jamie. It is? Why don't you tell us a little bit more about it, Ryan? It's like strategy for your brain. You get to build a team of five and go against heroes and villains and other players and there's raids and fun stuff, but there's so many characters. What are some of the characters in this game? Among the characters in Marvel Strike Force are Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Groot, Rocket Raccoon, Loki, Venom, Elektra, Captain America, and Iron Man. You can have uh, so many of your characters, you can level up your heroes, give them more power to the fight. I hear this is a pretty good-looking game, too. Marvel Strike Force has groundbreaking gameplay cinematics as your heroes unleash dynamic chain combos and team-ups with a single tap. Heck, yeah. Now, Marvel Strike Force is available in the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. You can download it now for free. That's no money. Get it today. Yeah. Marvel Strike Force. Heroes only. Marvelites, welcome to This Week in Marvel, episode number 341. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I am Jamie Frevely, and we have another big week of Marvel stuff. Heck, yeah, it's been a good week. We're going to have a lot more news later in the show, but one of the pieces that uh, I did want to make sure you check out on Marvel.com is the new trailer and key art for Marvel's Luke Cage, which is coming to Netflix. Very exciting. That one's going to be awesome. Now, Jamie, if I wanted to watch... Marvel's Luke Cage on Netflix. When can I see that? Marvel's Luke Cage will premiere on Netflix on June 22nd. Hot dog. That is your second season of Luke Cage. Where is Luke Cage after the Defenders? We're going to find out on June 22nd. Mm, Just a few weeks away. Very exciting. But this week, right here on this very show, we have... Ms. Gail Simone. Oh, man. Very exciting. Great interview. We had a really fun conversation. One of the fun things about that interview was we did a little bit of a reading club with her run on Deadpool. Uh, so it was issues 65 through 69 of the original full ongoing series, which is always funny to say ongoing series that ended. <laughs> so it was, it was ongoing until it ended with her run. Uh, but we talk about that. So if you want to... I actually, for listeners, I suggest you check that out on Marvel Unlimited. Go to your local comic shop, pick up the trade, read that before you listen to that part of the show because we talk about some spoilery things in there. We do. We also talk about Domino, mm-hmm. which is extremely exciting. Yeah. You know what? I feel like that's a perfect segue right into our picks of the week. You read my mind, Agent Tim. I know. Uh, so. We had Marvel's The Pull List this week where we we picked our books, but you came in and you said, gosh darn it, I need to talk about Domino number two. Yeah. So talk about Domino number two a little bit before we dive into our other picks. When we last left Domino, we didn't know what her fate was going to be. She was in a lot of trouble. She was falling out of a window. And she was thrown out. She was thrown out of a window. Okay. So one of my biggest concerns was not just Domino, but is her dog okay? We right? find this out, yeah. not even in the beginning, but no. it's worth tuning in to find out if the dog's okay. Cute little ugly dog. Cute little dog named Pip. Yeah, we talk a little bit about it with Gail that you'll hear in the interview. 
the fashion choices and the way that yeah. uh, David Baldion draws everything. Like I'm, I have an open right now to Nina Thurman, aka Domino. She is on a run with Amadeus Cho. They're just going for a jog, and she's like just her workout gear. The way David draws it, it just it looks cool. So the way her hair is put up, she just looks. This is also the way women dress when they work out. <laughs> I, but you know what? It, but it, it like it just it looks cool. It looks right. It looks real. Yeah, which is an important thing. Yeah, but it's this is Domino. She means business. She's trying to get something done. She's having a conversation. She needs to have. She's going through some stuff in her mind. Yeah, for that you wear pants. You just you wear pants. I don't run because I hate it. But I kickbox, I do Muay Thai. Yeah. Actually, it ties into what Domino is going through in this issue because one of her issues is that she feels helpless. She feels like something's been taken away from her and the worst feeling for her is feeling helpless. And that's one of the reasons I love doing Muay Thai is because it makes me feel strong. It makes me feel like I can, in a pinch, defend myself. It takes a lot for me to relate to a character, but I relate to Domino hating it when I feel helpless. Uh, something I talked about on Marvel's The Pull List with Tucker was I love that this series takes her and just puts her right in the middle of the Marvel Universe. She's hanging out with Amadeus Cho going on a mission. One of her best friends and her like teammates on her adventures is Diamondback, who is traditionally a Captain America character. Uh, you see her friends who come to her birthday party, and it's, yeah, it's a lot of mutants and stuff like that, but it's just a mix of these characters who are part of her greater world. And it's a really smart and subtle thing. It's also uh, realistic because yeah. it's always – I always wonder like whenever you have a superhero thing, like don't they know the other superheroes? And when you have them combined, then it's like, well, well, yeah, of course. Of course they have to know each other. But then they never run into each mm-hmm. other. But here they all are. They're going to the same party because, yeah, they probably run in the same circles and uh, like each other. Great issue. You can hear us talk more about this book, the series, what's to come in our interview with Gail. Now, I would suggest you also read one and two of Domino before you listen to the Gail interview. Both are terrific, but there's some stuff that Gail mentions that's a little bit talking about the end of the issue and the future of the book. The other books that we're going to talk about that you need to read before we dive into them a little bit further are Despicable Deadpool number 300, Exiles number three, and Venom number one. You have Deadpool 300, so I'm going to start us off with Exiles number three. I read this issue, and I immediately DM'd writer Saladin Ahmed and penciler Javier Rodriguez, all caps, full of expletives about how much I love this book. And these creators, these guys are doing amazing work. They are joined by inker Alvaro Lopez and colorist Chris O'Halloran with letterer Joe Caramagna. Uh, a great cover. Great, great cover. And who's on that cover, Ryan? Uh, on the cover by Dave Marquez and Justin Ponsor are Blink, of course, then Wolvie, the little cartoon Wolverine, and Peggy Carter, Captain America. Cannot believe it. Yeah. Love it. And, and Peggy Carter, Captain America, so cool. She was first introduced as Captain America in the game Marvel Puzzle Quest. This happened. Um, there was a, an event where... A bunch of our different games from the Marvel Games crew worked with the different, you know, games that were going on and came up with different versions of Captain America. It's where you see the Civil Warrior in Contest of Champions. You saw uh, Sharon Rogers, who was a different Captain America. You see Peggy, Captain America. So it was really cool. And for 
the characters to leap then back into the comics. It's like the comics inspire the games, which inspire the comics. It's so cool. Love it. Synergy. Yeah. But we don't even open with that. We open with uh, sort of the aftermath of what happened last issue. Some bunch of watchers came in and they – the watchers are the jerks who are supposed to just observe, never interfere. They always interfere. They are the worst at their jobs. You know, cardinal rule of anthropology. But the watchers came in. They had guns. They were going to stop the Unseen, who is Nick Fury. And then psh, chaos and calamity. The talus is broken, which sends our Exiles crew careening through time and space, which is so fun because their first stop is whatever reality has talking, armor-wearing, gun-shooting, club-holding dinosaurs. Even the sound effect here, uh, just so good. Shouts to uh, Joe Caramagna and, and the whole team. There's the, the sound effect of them, of these giant dinosaurs going after the exiles is tromp, 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 tromp. I love that, tromp. I love Marvel sound effects. Yeah. We have this great battle. Javier Rodriguez is, I, I feel like a broken record. Every time we talk about him and, of course, He's the one who has done our fancy, wonderful art for the the podcast and the show. He has such a mastery of the visual storytelling language of comic books and the way to tell a story. There's a scene at the end as they're exiting this reality, going to their next reality, where you have the team. There's essentially five horizontal panels. Four of them, it's broken up sort of three-quarters of the way with the team falling down as if they are going through a portal. So I emailed the editors, Will Moss and Sarah Brunstad, and I was like, hey, was this in the script or was this just Javi? And Sarah's like, oh, yeah, no, that's Javi. And then Will sent me the uh, Javier Rodriguez's like thumbnail for the page. And it, like even as a rough, you're just like, he's he's wonderful. Uh, One of the most exciting things about this job is that, like, the magic is happening right here. Right here. <laughs> uh, speaking of magic, we go from one reality with talking, you know, rampaging dinosaurs to another reality where sexy Namor is like <laughs> a, a giant hippie leader of sexy the world. Sexy Namor. Sexy Namor. Look, mm. Namor is always sexy. There is – I. he is <sighs> – the Namor in this book, who's very hippie-ish, he's got the beard, he's got the bell-bottoms, fine, but he's got all those abs and he's just Namor. He is leading this peace and love world, which is so cool, so fun. One of the things that I love about this book is it's throwing so many ideas at us. Bam, bam, bam. And they're good and they're fully fleshed out. Like, you could give me a book about that dinosaur world, and I know that, like, Solid has got it in his head. You can give me the world about, you know, Aquari the Age of Aquarius world with Namor and what's going on there. And then, boom, we go into the next world, and I know you're super hyped for it. Oh, I've already skipped ahead, and I'm super, super psyched. Love this book with all my heart and soul, and I hope you do too. It is masterful. You know what else is masterful? Deadpool. Deadpool. Now, Deadpool number 300 has so many people involved in this book, in this series. Uh, yeah, it is there they are. It has got such a uh, tremendous legacy now. We're, we're at 300. This is the end of the run, but who's involved in this issue? Everybody, namely Jerry Duggan, 
who not only wrote this, but he makes a cameo appearance. I appreciated it so much because I like it when writers are self-aware. <laughs> and, yeah. and he clearly is. I think when you write Deadpool, you have to be. So who else is in this? It's uh, Scott Koblish, Matteo Lolly, and Mike Hawthorne are the pencilers. Uh, Scott Koblish and Matteo Lolly and Terry Pallett. Craig Young and Mike Hawthorne are also the inkers. Nick Filardi, Ruth Redmond, and Jordi Bellari are the colorists. Uh, shout out to Scott. Scott just actually put out a book of his own cartooning called The Many Deaths of Scott Koblish. And it is. I'm, I'm in. It's kind of like the far side. The, <gasps> in the sense of like these irreverent, fun cartoons, but they're all about ways he dies. But let's talk about Deadpool, number Pathia. 300. Yeah. This is epic. This is a huge kind of farewell from Jerry Duggan. And uh, this issue is just so, so full of vomit. It is, hands down, the most disgusting comic book I've ever read. And it's only the first 20 pages. That's saying a lot because you've been reading comic books for a long time. 30 plus years. (laughs) And it is easily the most disgusting and maybe one of the funniest books I've ever read. It's hilarious because it features a lot of our favorite superheroes from the Marvel Universe in a very vulnerable position, uh, meaning that they are all vomiting. It's nonstop, and basically it's Deadpool wanting to go on one last fight. He wants to go on one last fight, and he gets something from an alien that um, gives him, I won't call it a superpower, I would just call it... um, uh, what should we call it, Ryan? He he gets a... a <laughs> he has an enhancement. He's basically <laughs> is weaponizing himself. Yes, he turns himself into a biological weapon. Yeah. And it's unpleasant for him, and it's unpleasant for everyone he comes into contact with, including, first, it starts off with Falcon. Yeah, I, I don't even want to spoil too much of this no, scene because it's so good. It's so hilarious and so disgusting. No one escapes this attack. Yeah. But it does eventually end. Yeah. And Deadpool is disappointed that he got into the one last tussle. And this is how it had to go down. He ended up hurting people and he feels like he can't. It's almost like his superpower is that he can't help but kill people. He does it without even trying. And... Then he actually downs a helicarrier, and then another great cameo appearance Yeah, it, by the Marvel Universe's own Scott Edzett. Yeah, I mean, and Scott is, I mean, he's been in the comics for such a long time. It's great. It's pulling in a lot of the threads that Jerry and the collaborators have been building for the last couple of years. It's kind of the perfect way that this book could end. There is a very deep emotional core yes. to this book, to the relationships that Wade has built, burned down, destroyed, created, lost. And, and so you see some of those relationships actually come to him in this. And some of them you see the way he washes those away in certain ways. And it's cathartic. It is uh, vexing. It is it's, sad. It's sad, and it's it's the whole Deadpool with a heart thing that I think makes Deadpool such a great and compelling character yeah. that he's not just a wacko who right. sings and breaks the fourth wall and is absolutely ruthless and violent, but like he actually feels things. And he makes an appearance in Domino Number 2 where he's yeah. looking out for people. And you feel for Deadpool. You feel for Wade Wilson in this a lot. Because he's just trying to, like, exist and 
do what he's meant to be doing, but what he's meant to be doing is um, killing people. Yeah. I will sorely miss this run of Deadpool. There's a great two-page goodbye note from it's Jerry. Wonderful. wonderful stuff. All right. We've got one more book to talk about this week. It is Venom, number one. Now, as I was walking to the office this morning, I got a text from one dastardly Donny Cates who was listening to Marvel's The Pull List, and he wanted to know what anecdote I was going to bring up about the last creative retreat. And so, everyone else, this is not for you. This is only for Donny Cates. <laughs> Donny. I wanted to tell everyone about how you have seven arcs planned out for Venom. You have gone into such depth, and I, I just, you are such a madman for this character. I'm so excited for you to unleash the beast that is this book and your hardcore love for the character and the mythology and what you're building for this. The, the, just the anecdote was really about how much heart and soul Donnie is putting into this book and how much he's, he's been thinking about and planning and, and really diving into what he loves about the character, but also being able to destroy it all if he needs to, take it, tear it up, mess it up, hurt the characters. And that's what makes all the best stories so good is the creators able to say, oh, I, I'm not precious about this. And so Venom number one is at the gate just – Firing on all cylinders, ready to hurt them, ready to make great art with this story. It's just gorgeous stuff because you have this wonderful art team of penciler Ryan Stegman, inker J.P. Meyer, and colorist Frank Martin with letterer Clayton Cowles. Uh, you open up into medieval times and one of the characters references Beowulf. Yeah. We get into this, boom, we get a little bit of venom swinging around, something is wrong with the symbiote. Action, adventure, ultra violence. Because the symbiote was always so chill before. <laughs> I know. But he's like sick. He's yeah. having these sort of violent episodes within. And over the time, especially the last couple of years, the way the symbiote talks to the host, especially to Eddie, there's like this sweetness to it. There's a connection. They're bonded. And then like that is that's part of who they are, and they are together. And Eddie loves the symbiote and knows that, like, something is wrong. He needs to find a way to help. Uh, there's this beautiful splash page where Venom has just tracked down a villain. He's got him in an alleyway. And he's, like, going after the guy's eyes. And the cops show up and they tell him to turn around. And the splash page is Venom turned around, like, this hulking sort of form with – his eyes are gone in, in its place is this red swirly symbol. On his chest, the spider kind of looks like something else. Like... Really pay attention to what's going on. Mm -hmm. uh, the veins are like there's this red through line going through him. He is terrifying. Uh, Stegman, who has been doing great work on numerous books over the last you know couple of years, is just pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. He's I think he really he works really really well with the rest of this creative team, you know, Donnie of course, but JP Meyer and Frank Martin with Ryan is is looking like it's going to be something special. I want more. I can't wait for more. This is the 30th anniversary this week for Venom, and I think this is a very very strong way to celebrate that anniversary. Very exciting. Indeed. More Venom to come as we celebrate the rest of Venom's 30th anniversary this year. But 
Hopefully you guys check those out. If you want to know more about the rest of the books out this week, check out Marvel's The Pull List. It's, uh, it's us talking about comics, me and Tucker. That's what we do. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, we teased Extermination, a story that's coming up. And just real quick that we want to say that the uh, there's some post-credit scenes in uh, the select issues starting in May in a couple of key X-Men titles. And we're, we're teasing those out, teasing Extermination, what's coming up, and the future of the Marvel Universe in those pages. You can check out the story on Marvel.com for more about that. Uh, again, Similar, last creative retreat. Heard a lot about extermination. Looking forward to seeing that come together. I love Ed. He's uh, he's doing some really cool work. So good dude checking that stuff out. In new media, we have Wolverine The Long Night. All episodes are out on Stitcher Premium. And stay tuned for the Marvel After Show. All episodes of that are available as well. So you get a little bit of behind the scenes with the show. It's first of its kind. It's really neat. Also on Women of Marvel, Mackenzie Cadenhead. And on Eat the Universe, John Urschel making cosmic yogurt with our own Justin Warner. Neat. Uh, we have a cool story on Marvel.com, a little video. Uh, there are some updates, and they want to just show some progress of the Guardians of the Galaxy attraction that's coming to Epcot Center at Walt Disney World Resort. And that is super cool. I that can't wait. That is super cool. Gail Simone, you are here at Marvel headquarters. Yes, Welcome. this is my first time of being at the Marvel offices, and I they were the first mainstream comic that I wrote over a decade ago, so I'm really excited to finally get here. Gail, so it's it's been a little while since you've written for us, and we're going to dive into that because I am so excited to talk about Domino. Uh, I just read issue number two, but before we dive into the comic books, I got to talk to you about the fun bun. My wife- Amazing. Chatted, we were chatting one day. She's like, she just sent me the link, and I was like, "What's this?" You know, she she just like read the thread, and I read it. I was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" Um, yes, the fun bun is something that Knott's Berry Farm brings out like one or two times a year. It's like a special occasion. I'd been hearing about this myth of the fun bun forever, and one of my friends um, said when I was with him at Knott's Berry Farm last year, he's like, "I have to have a fun bun. I have to have a fun bun." They didn't have one. And so he was like, if you go to Knott's Berry Farm and you don't get the fun bun, you're no longer my friend. So we searched it out and got it. And it was indeed a cathartic experience <laughs> that takes you to a new dimension. Uh, we'll put a, a link to the beginning of your thread in, in the article with this, uh, with this episode in the show notes because – you must all, listeners, experience <laughs> the glory of Gil's regaling of the fun bun adventure. It's time to talk about comics. Uh, because it's been a couple years since uh, we've had you here at Marvel, how did Domino happen? How did it come together for you to, to be on this book? It's just, you know, Marvel has asked me numerous times throughout the years if I was interested in various projects. And the timing was just not right. I couldn't commit to the time that Marvel would have ne- needed it done. When Chris called about Domino which um, I like the character, but I've not really followed her character or her stories um, too much over over the years. But he was really enthused about it, which got me enthused about it. And then the more I looked into it, the more I was like, you know, I, I think I do want to write Domino. And I, I've never said yes, I don't think, to a project the next day. Never, I don't remember ever just saying yes that quickly. So once I said yes and got in a, a you know a pitch... I got more and more excited, I think, with every new step in the process because I just fell in love with Domino and I started seeing a lot of the possibilities uh, for her character and what could really be done with a solo book. And then once we brought David Baldion on 
and his first pages came in, I was just like, okay, this book is going to be amazing because he brings the energy, you know, the visual energy to this book. Like I, I'd had no idea that um, we could do that. And he just has very creative page layouts and it's very kinetic. And, and um, then once they brought Jesus in for the colors, I was like, wow, this is like fireworks on a page. You know, this is because I get really frustrated with muddy looking comics. Mm -hmm. I kind of have a little pet peeve about that. And I was like, well, I will never be able to say that about this book because it is just so gorgeous on every level. Yeah. No, you were talking about Chris Robinson, the editor on the book, and he came to us and he was like, you guys got to do something about Domino. It's so good. I'm so excited. Like he was fired up (laughs) and really excited. It is Uh, so fun when the entire team is like that. I mean, we literally have emails going back and forth. It's just like a huge cheerleader group. And we're saying, oh, this is a pinata of colors. And and I can't believe that you could get all this on the page, David. And it's just, you know, we're just all cheering each other on. And it's really a lot of fun. And then to have Domino in the middle of all that. Yeah. In an interview on Marvel.com, you said like what you wanted to explore with Domino, and you said, quote, seriously, no one beats the house odds forever. She's been playing the world on cheat mode that cannot come at no cost, which I love. I really, really love that sentiment, the cost of power, um, be it big or even, you know, like the little things like surviving something but getting a broken arm. Um, you know, how quickly when you started thinking about the book, did you come to like hitting on that as a key point? Fairly quickly, because I start thinking about, you know, when I'm sitting down and I'm figuring out what tone of the book and how we want to kind of form form this, I start thinking about their powers, if it's a powered character, and how we can use that and what we can put them up against and what the costs are going to be and how we can build tension and just all those things that are all part of writing and telling a story and hopefully keeping people interested over the long haul of the story. And I just kept thinking, you know, you, you Sure, she's got the power of luck, but that just is not going to work every single time or work in any way that she would expect it. And we're going to learn in this story exactly how her powers work and what the cost is for her. Yeah. Well, I want to get into a little bit more about the powers or, you know, not having powers when we talk about issue number two. But the supporting cast, so good, so (laughs) rad. Um, Outlaw, which, you know, I love Outlaw. It's a character, you know, that is obviously, I'm sure, very close to your heart when (laughs) when it comes to Marvel. Such a great choice. But Diamondback, too. You know, Diamondback was not a character I would have connected. Um, But, you know, seeing, you know, Outlaw come back here was really great. How did you land on Diamondback? Um, I just, whenever I'm trying to build a team, I start thinking about the dynamics and how to have built-in conflict and how that they aren't going to always be, have the same characteristics or same motivations. And I think Diamondback fits into this trio really well in that she's not like the other two. So she's going to have a different viewpoint, a different way of doing things and, and, um, you know, behave differently than the other two. And Outlaw is very, you know, loud and and says what's on her mind at all times and that's in contrast with Diamondback and so it's kind of these dynamics that I think about when I'm trying to put you know a a team together that are going to that we are going to ask people to read their story for a period of time so it's got to be interesting it can't just be boring. I really liked reading this just because it's a lot of female friendship. (laughs) I loved just seeing this group of chicks just hanging out with each other and getting stuff done and but caring for each other too like there's genuine concern there's a lot of heart and it was really refreshing to read that did you draw from anything that you are familiar with or did you just want to see these girls do this well I do want to see these girls but when I'm thinking again when I'm thinking about um 
Domino and her character and previous storylines, I'm thinking about she's had hookups, she's had dates, she's had, you know, acquaintances and things, but she hasn't really attached to anything. And what's going to happen with her life, her personality, her emotional, you know, being all of that if she starts attaching to friends, to a puppy, to different things. Yeah, (laughs) to different Things like that, because she's reluctant. You can tell in the beginning that this is just not something that she does, you know. Yeah. But back to number one, the party scene I loved so much. It's really neat. You've got appearances from Agent X, Deadpool, Dazzler. Dazzler. Uh, The Dazzler moment was so good because, like, Dazzler's a rock star. She can change her clothes and change her persona and change her, her look and her style at any time. And I thought it sort of fit so well in that conversation. Uh, and you see her in the, the Bowie-esque mode. It looks so good. I, I'm a huge, I love me some Alison Blair. I think I audibly gasped when I read The Thin White Duchess. Yeah. And then also, she reminded me of Jem. Oh. Which I assume you are familiar yeah. with. The truly, truly, truly outrageous yeah. gem. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I was going to ask you, when you go into a character like this, you're basically going on a ride-along in their soul as a writer. What is that like to do with a character like Domino? It's fun as hell. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, she's not like me at all. So to to kind of, you know, go along in her life and all these wild adventures she's having and her attitude, her luck powers, all of those things, it's a lot of fun to try to get into her, her head and, and kind of build her character layer upon layer and watch how she's going to react to certain things that come along in her life. But I will say the mud and the cleavage, I have lived that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm from the Pacific Northwest where it (laughs) rains and is muddy a lot. And I grew up on a farm. There might've been some manure in there too. (laughs) Um, We talked a little bit about David Baldeon and uh, Jesus Abrutov. Man, David, previously he was on uh, Spirits of Vengeance book where it was a lot of monsters and demons. And so him drawing monsters is so good and so like he does it so well and then you like flip we we have a monster and sort of monster in this book but he does fashion like nobody's business i know domino's new costume come on it, i the, just was like all the clothes uh, are yeah like, yeah i was just in heaven because i struggle a lot of times with that and trying to get color into um, superhero costumes sometimes, especially new characters or if they're in new luck, trying to get some really nice color sometimes has been difficult. And this was just just really wonderful that we could get yeah. that. And yeah, he is amazing. Yeah, I, there's Outlaw's outfit at the party. I just, like, it was a simple twist on, like, her normal costume. You had a couple bits, and it, she just looked like she, she dolled up a bunch. It was great. <laughs> uh, Nina's, like... I don't know what her outfit was for that party. Like, I don't, I asked my wife, I was like, what is this? She's wearing like this kind of tie thing and the, she's got the dress and it's black and white. And I, but I loved it so much and it, it just had such personality. And then you look at Colossus who's there in the background, like the, the ex-boyfriend's like chit-chatting. <laughs> yeah. And he's, you could tell it's Colossus because of the color scheme and the, what he's wearing. I loved it so yeah. much. This one, Ryan? Yeah, that one. That's like a nice... Oh. It's so cool. Yeah, it is. It's I'd really wear that. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people wear that. And, you know, I will give like little very short descriptions like I wanted to, um, you know, remind you of the costume, but not be the costume. It's formal wear or whatever. And then he just goes crazy and makes it amazing. Yeah. Um, now I'm going to talk a little bit about number two. Number two, I love because it picks up exactly where number one leaves off. I, we have this great cliffhanger in number one, but 
the that first page with Dom falling and it's you know you, you talked a little bit about David and the way he does panels mm-hmm. and just the you've you've got her reflections in some of the the glass you've got some of the the captions in the glass it just felt like you're in that moment exactly he so just can draw you in so amazing in such a refreshing and new way and there you know just He's just not lazy about it at all. No. He's super creative and brilliant and not lazy. Yeah. And, and then I love it. So with number two, you know, we there's a lot of talk about her luck powers, number one. And number two, it's a lot of digging into she what if she doesn't have powers? But she's still a friggin' badass. <laughs> she's a this really cool warrior woman. How important was that for you in, in structuring like the storytelling and really getting that out there for Domino? Well, I think that, you know, it's important that she has skills, that she's not just, you know, riding on her luck. That would make a very boring, I think, kind of character overall if she she just did everything knowing that things were going to work out perfect in the end no matter what she did. And to do the type of work she does, you know, you're not messing around. You have got to have some skills, whether you have luck or not, to get you in and out of certain problems as quickly and as least hurtfully as possible. <laughs> so, I mean, that's important. And I like women to, you know, be able to hold their own. I don't, I, these characters, especially when they've got their own book, we don't need to have somebody come in and, you know, a male hero come in and rescue them because uh, she's got her own skills. Yeah. yeah and the scene with Amadeus Cho, completely winded, just like, no, I, I, <laughs> I literally cannot get up. And she's cutting off a dude's thumb and she's swinging around <laughs> on light poles, kicking them in the face. So great. So fun. Um, the last page, I will tell you, the honest, honest truth, last page of number two, I was reading it on PDF on my computer screen and it made me put my, my hand over my mouth and my eyes went really big. Awesome. Um, which was <laughs> such a great cliffhanger. Oh, that's, I'm glad. And I want to say, oh, everything will be fine. But at the same time, I don't know that. And that's the great thing about uh, the story that you're telling is there's a lot of questions and there's a <laughs> lot of really cool stuff. Can you give us a sense of what's on tap, what's coming up for the team? Well, Topaz is a villain who, you know, we have lots of different types of villains. We have villains that want to conquer the world. They want power. They want money. They whatever. Topaz hates Domino with every cell in her body. This is just like a white hot hatred that is not going to go away. And I think that this makes her an amazing villain to go up for Domino to go up against because Topaz is not going to quit. She's not giving up. So Domino is going to have to figure out how and if she can survive this person. All right. So now I want to flashback, talk a little bit about our This Week in Marvel Unlimited Reading Club selection, which was Deadpool 65 through 69 from um, the original ongoing series run. Um, You know, you've talked about this before. I apologize for, for, you know, going back to it. But for our listeners who don't know, can you give us a setup how you came on to the book? Um, And, you know, because this was... It was like a new start, right? Like Frank Thierry, Buddy Scalera, they had essentially done, they had done a almost seemed like a wrap up. And now we got a fresh new start for Deadpool when you jumped on. <laughs> this is the weirdest story ever. <laughs> uh, it really is weird. And I don't know if it shows me in a good light or a bad light, but here we go. Um, I was writing a comic book, a weekly comic book column uh, on CBR called You'll All Be Sorry. And 
uh, Joe Casada, who was editor in chief of Marvel at the time, was a fan of that column, and he used to send little notes and stuff about how funny it was, and we'd talk back and forth about that. Well, he called one day and he said, "Hey, you know, we're looking to do, you know, kind of a little bit of a reboot for Deadpool, and we just want him to be laugh out loud funny again. We'd like you to pitch for it." And I'm like, "Dead," and he goes, "Do you know who Deadpool is?" I'm like, "Deadpool." Yes, he's my favorite character. I love Deadpool. I had never read a Deadpool comic <laughs> ever. So I was like, yeah, I love Deadpool. So then he's like, okay, well, we just want it to be laugh out loud funny. That's really what we're looking for. And he, he also was familiar with, a little bit with my Simpsons work. So um, so I wrote a pitch. And, you know, well, first I went online, asked my online friends about Deadpool and read a couple examples and then kind of decided what I thought would work for the humor because when when you write humor there's a lot of different styles of humor and I, it's really to me only funny and works if it works with that character like the Simpsons humor is going to be completely different than Deadpool humor and to work and so um, I sent in the pitch and I guess it cracked everyone up at the offices and they liked it and so I got the job and I'm like okay now let's write Deadpool and he said we just want it to be funny and so they gave me so much freedom with the humor, they didn't have me pull back. I had great editors working with me at the time, and and Udon was doing the art, and they were you know really energetic and up for anything. And uh, so we just kind of put them, you know, the foot to the floor and and went as hard as we could go. And um, I loved it. It's really really fun to work on a book where you have that much freedom to to, to work with the humor and. You know, I'm probably the only person that ever, especially woman, who ever got away with writing an entire issue of a comic about Deadpool's winky and what he thinks about it, <laughs> you know. And I love writing that type of humor, too, because it's unpredictable. And that's so important with humor is you just don't know what <laughs> what that character is going to do or say next. And it's very dark. Like, I literally had his arm blown off with the code to a briefcase on the other side of the room and he needed it now. And yeah, that's funny, but it's tragic too, yeah. you know, and, and it was really fun to kind of play with that. And um, that's the, the Deadpool that I like. Um, rereading Deadpool and having obviously just read Domino, uh, it made me realize you're a very cruel writer and that uh, <laughs> you, you enjoy, Who, me? <laughs> you enjoy putting our favorite characters through horrible things right away, like right from the get go. Where does that come from in, in terms of the storytelling? I think if I was going to sit back and like try to analyze myself a little bit and, and what I like to read, what I like to write, how I am as a person, I really love characters and human be real human beings that have a struggle to accomplish the things they accomplish. So you'll, if you go back and look at a lot of my writing, these characters are starting down at a pretty low place in their life and then they're struggling and working their butts off to become something. And so I put them through a lot of things so that they can grow as characters. And, you know, a lot of human beings, the best human beings I know have had those same experiences in life. They've really had to overcome a lot. And, and despite all of that, or in spite of it, whichever their attitude is, um, they have made something of themselves and been able to accomplish their dreams or accomplish something really great in the world or just to survive. Sometimes that's the best and you know best accomplishment of all. But I'm really attracted to that um, struggle and overcoming. Yeah, 
I that's why I think I like Deadpool's sense of humor so much is because when you are that far down, that's all you have left. Yeah, it's a and it's a survival mechanism, and yeah. if that's what helps you survive, then you gotta go with it. Um, in the first issue, you introduce Outlaw, you introduce Neho, and those obviously very big characters in Agent X, um, but they relatively, you know, like especially Outlaw, she's just like, "Hi, I'm at the gym," <laughs> you know, like little flirty business, and then that's it. Um, how much were you like thinking about the long-term plans for Agent X? Um, whenever I write anything, I, I think long-term because you, I, I, unless I know it's only going to be X number of issues right. because it's a, a one arc story or whatever. But if I'm doing an ongoing book, I'm always going to approach it in the long run. So this, this, the structure of the storytelling is going to be, you know, longer arcs with a lot of mini arcs in and then longer arc and resolution. Cause I really don't like, um, you know, having super long arcs with no payoffs in the middle. So there's constantly lots of little things going on so that you can feel satisfied after each issue and not and still want to know what's going to happen next, hopefully. And so that's how I structure it. I don't um, I don't think in the short term in terms of the book. Yeah. Um, uh, Jamie, I know you and I both love cute things. Yeah, uh, we do. And in uh, <laughs> tiny... Rhino is one of my favorite <laughs> yeah. things. Like tiny rhino, just I would just want to pull out every single one of those panels and just put them like, like I want a little keychain with a tiny rhino on I've it. I've had people make home make little uh, keychain rhinos for me. It's yeah. been amazing. I uh, would not mind having just tiny rhino on my desk, <laughs> just providing just, moral support, <laughs> adorable moral support, a morable support. I don't well, think he would be know, nice to you though. If you think about it, it doesn't it, matter. He's tiny. <laughs> If you think about it, and I'm dealing with villains in the case of Rhino, you know, and he's like this really big, hulking, angry thing. What's more hilarious than him being frustrated by, you know, being tiny and powerless and on a keychain? And so that's kind of how the humor goes for me is like, what could we do to this villain that would really be humiliating? Make him tiny. <laughs> now I, he's little. I also love that you made Rhino a huge disco fan. And like he, when he starts fangirling out of, on, on Dazzler is like the best character beat for that, for, for him ever. Uh, so thank you for that. I want to see, like, I want that to come back. I want when like, you know, maybe if Nick Spencer in Amazing Spider-Man brings Rhino in, I want him to be a big d- disco fan. Like, he better be. Yeah. Like that's just continuity. That's a thing we need. Um, we talked a little bit about the, the Mark with a Heart uh, Deadpool aspects. There's the, the business with Sandy, the domestic abuse stuff with Sandy um, was intense, obviously. But yeah. the payoff in the final issue, it kind of gave me chills. Like, <laughs> the way that that hashes out, um, it was satisfying and, like, you know, not getting too deep into details, but I have family that's dealt with that stuff. And so it's really like, it's, it's a lot. Um, was there any editorial concern about touching that subject matter? How did you guys handle that? Like, um, there wasn't any editorial concern that I remember. Um, but I think a lot of this stuff is that's delicate like that, or you might consider touchy or whatever. It's in context and how, how it's done and how it, how it plays out in the story. And, you know, I think that story beat and arc for Sandy is really important in the way it pays off in the end. And uh, I like, you know, if I'm going to tell stories that are like that, that hit on uh, subject matters like that, and I do it a lot, um, there has to be some, you know, you get from point A to B to point C. Um, we don't want to stay here at point A and let everyone else, you know, 
take care of this so that you stay a victim, I guess is what I'm saying mm. in this particular case. So, um, you know, it's another opportunity to put characters under stress and see how they're going to come out of this horrible situation. Yeah. Making ta Taskmaster feel like a, like a <laughs> hero, which is <laughs> awkward. Uh, but I like it. I like it. Um, I also love the the video game manga style art that, that Udon, yeah, Udon yeah. brought. It was, mm -hmm. you know, it's so good, but it was like a group of artists, right? Yeah. Does that yeah. like change the process for you at all? Or is it sort of, you know, like how do you, you know, because I know a, a lot of artists, you know, a lot of writers and artists, it's a very collaborative medium when you're working you with two, three, four pencilers mm -hmm. on a single issue. Does that change things for you? Um, I, it, I think it's going to depend on the situation. Like, I always like to know who the artist is that I'm going to be working with as soon as possible. Going in, if possible, because then we can talk about things up front um, and get on the same page and see what they how they feel about the, the character or the book that you're working on. Um, or just as soon as possible. And when we're dealing with a studio like Udon, I had faith in that studio. I grew pretty close with Eric Coe, who runs it. Yeah. And, you know, I love Alvin's art, but Eric would always make sure that he would bring somebody in that could, you know, uh, carry the torch. And I trusted him. Yeah. Shout out to Eric. Good dude. Yeah, he Every is. time I see him at a con, he's like, come look at this thing that we're <laughs> yeah, doing. And yeah, it's like, and they do a lot of amazing things. Yeah. <laughs> like the Street Fighter metal plates that we have, or, you know, this art book. And I'm like, great. Yeah, and it was fun, too, for me to um, work with an artistic style that you know, wasn't necessarily seen a lot in mainstream comics mm -hmm. at the time. And that was fun. Uh, it's great. But, you know, with Agent, Agent X was two weeks later. Like the next the issue, I think, came out so immediately afterwards. Um, but it had a lot of mystery around it, right? Like the mystery of who is Agent X <laughs> uh, was great. What was your plan for Agent X? Well, I just wanted him to, you know, kind of, I always thought that, Deadpool was not going to be gone forever. I mean, I just didn't believe that. <laughs> so my um, way of writing it was that to take this character and make him his own character, but it could easily go back to Deadpool, you know. And so I just wanted him to kind of be mysterious and not have the exact same properties of Deadpool, but a lot of, like, they were m a mind meld, kind of body meld thing so that you would still see some of those characteristics. Yeah, we got a couple questions in from uh, questions and comments in from fans. Uh, this one actually comes in from Jackie, who's one of our proofreaders. Uh, oh, hi, Jackie. Uh, but did you have any specific, uh, any design specifications for David Baldeon when working on Domino Number One? Um, there was just a couple things. I wanted her hair to be a little bit different. I wanted her to look a little bit different. I wanted the way she carried her weapons to be you know, just a little bit different. And I kind of wanted the guns to be a little bit exaggerated rather than look like, you know, a real uh, weapon per se. So those were the kinds of things I wanted. I wanted her to have look like she had a lot of energy and was could, you know, I but he came up with the costume, you know, the look of it completely, the backless thing and just the color scheme. It just was beautiful. I wanted this white streak in the hair to kind of contrast with her tattoo and and things um we have one um from fred martin campo who says domino is badass but i really love to dive into the insecurities that Nina oh has. don't worry <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that was another thing that i just reading it was like oh i found my people in this. <laughs> uh, so fred uh asked will we keep exploring what it means to, for her to be a mutant 
um, yeah, we're we're going to keep exploring that. We're going to keep exploring how her luck powers work, and um, she's going to learn a lot of things about that that she didn't know before, and uh, she's going to be challenged a lot. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Good challenge is, is great. We also on uh, Marvel's The Pullist, the issue, the week that number one came out, uh, we were trying, we were talking like we were speaking earlier, trying to figure out how you describe her outfit. Uh, like, because <laughs> I, I just love, for some reason, like, I am so stuck on Davis' design for that outfit. And uh, Bob Moriarty says, I believe that's a Victorian style cowboy tunic. <laughs> so, and I think that is fair. I'm going to have perfect. to ask David how he, what he calls it. But we actually have people who have made the costume already. Already. And cosplaying it, and it well looks done. amazing. Yeah. Uh, so for listeners, you read Deadpool 65 through 69. I highly suggest you read Agent X. The full run is on Marvel Unlimited. You could read it, and it's great. And it really, it, like, it picks up. Everything uh, and has a great, you know, full arc resolution. Um, well, just a couple of things before you go. I also wanted to mention um, the Marvelous Adventures of Gus Beezer, <laughs> which uh, is available on Marvel Unlimited and now is available to purchase on the Marvel app, uh, which is cool. Um, and I it, do it, believe they st- are still selling library editions. Library too. editions, so you know you can get it in print as well. Um, you know, it's a great all ages book, and it's something that we get asked about a lot on the show. Is like. Hey, I have I have kids and they're in various ages. What's a great what's something that I can give them? And I think Gus is a really cool opportunity to Gus give that to was a kid. so much fun to write. It's so much fun to write. And I did borrow some of the characteristics of Gus from my son at the time when he cuz he was young at the time and just kind of how kids will get obsessed over certain things and just keep going and and you know the fact that he hates potato salad and no wants <laughs> doesn't want to go to these family things, all this stuff kind of drew from real life and he he's just I could I could seriously write Gus Beezer stories for the rest of my life. I just love that whole character and the whole world that he's in. I and my sister, she's an elementary school librarian. Yeah, look at that. And um, she finally got the uh, library edition of Gus Beezer, and her kids are just crazy about it. And I wish there was more stuff like that because they all want to check it out after she's through, and it's just difficult to get into the library so we do need a lot more of it yeah um and and so gus is this little kid and he uh it's superheroes in his mind but then you have the, like the his comics that he does <laughs> at the bottom uh, it's just so fun and so <laughs> thank should, you if you I haven't read it doing that yeah any of our listeners who haven't read it check it out you can get it on marvel unlimited and on the app gail thank you for coming on this week at marvel oh this was so thank fun you. you guys thank you yeah um where can fans find you uh talk to you on social media find out your con schedule all that good stuff yeah um the best way is probably on twitter at gail simone awesome perfect <laughs> thanks gail thank you, thank you gail Comics are awesome. <laughs> you know what else is awesome? Our community. We have yeah. a bunch of tweets come in from uh, listeners. First one is from Brett Gregory. Oh, this one was great. Yeah. He tweeted to you saying he, he just got caught up on the last couple episodes of This Week in Marvel and started following you, Jamie, yes. on Twitter when you took over as co-host. He loves your dog. She looks so much like his. Yes. Brett and I exchanged a couple of tweets after that. He has a very handsome pooch named Cash. Aww. And he does look a lot like my Peggy, who I believe is a Carolina. Dog and Brett, I'm going to say Cash must have a little Carolina dog in him. They're a very cool breed of dog. But yes, the Cash is a shepherd and yellow lab mix. That's exactly what he looks like. Thanks, uh, Brett. And you are 
Jamie Frevely on Twitter. Yes, I am Jamie Frevely on Twitter. Now, on to Brian Stranko, who says uh, he's been doing his giant full listen to the series from the beginning. Yeah. He says he's hit the cast change. And he <laughs> says, welcome back, intern Tucker Marcus, and uh, hello to Eric Goldman. Farewell to Strami. Good luck in law school. But also, spoiler alert, Brian, uh, another cast change is coming. It'll come, yeah. <laughs> uh, so last week I asked uh, listeners to send us some of your comic shops that you guys go to. We can give them a shout out. How about this one, Jamie? You go for it. Oh, sure. He says, The Great Four Corners Comics in beautiful downtown Gettysburg is where I go every week for my books. So we are going to give Owners Art and Holly a shout out for being so awesome. Yeah. Thank you, H.P. Seaton, for that one. I love that. Um, uh oh, Johnny Vinyl. Yeah, we haven't heard from you in a while. He's uh, Blackheart JV says, I stopped listening this week in Marvel for a while, and now I'm checking back in. Where the hell is Ben J. Morse? Man, you have missed some stuff, son. Yeah, dude, time to catch up. Maybe get in touch with Brian Stranko. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no, he, Brian <laughs> oh, no. hasn't. He's way behind. He's still behind. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Joshua Cooper says, uh, for his local comic shop shout out, for this week of Marvel, he wants to bring up Fort Collins, Colorado shops, Griffin Games and Comics, and the well-named Halley's Comics. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. That is a smart comic book store name that I wish I'd come up with myself. <laughs> it's like Curl Up and Die as a hair salon. Oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. It's beautiful. Oh, man. Captain Rogers 44 uh, gave me one of them uh, sage butter whiskers tweets that I asked for. <laughs> I did not get many. You guys, I'm still going to I'm going to give you extended a week. Let me know you about them sage butter whiskers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says it should be a type of hair care product in the comics and get Doctor Strange to advertise it. Mm. Ooh, mm. fancy like a like beard care. Mm. Simon wants to give a shout out to his local comic shop, Red Pegasus Comics in Oak Cliff, Texas. Gabriel, Kenneth and the rest of the staff are always making him feel welcome when he comes in. That what I like to hear. A couple of Twims of the Week from Simon. He has Rise of the Black Panther number five and Miles Morales Spider-Man number 240. And finally, one more from Simon. He says, if anyone still needs convincing, Jason Aaron is one of the best writers in comics today just from Avengers number one. He says, well, Mighty Thor should have done it, but this certainly will. Jamie, why don't you take us home? And the Tech Lord says the Right Honorable General Sage Butterwhiskers first order of the Stone Gauntlet was laid to rest this week after a long life. She is survived by two litters of children and 24 grandchildren. May she need in peace. I, oh. This is one of those things, it's so deep and there's this like sad story that I want to hear more of. You took my dumb joke of a goofy food thing and turned it into wonderful fiction that broke my heart like where who is gonna write this this run of this comic this and who's gonna draw that cat (laughs) all right our question of the week if you had venom symbiote a symbiote suit what would you do with it would you go swinging around uh one of the cool things that i always love about the symbiote suit is it it can fully change your appearance there's this great what Mm. if story what if punisher had the symbiote oh Good heavens. Yeah. But there's this there's this <laughs> part of the story where he dresses like he uses it to transform himself into like this just like bushy mustache businessman. And if I recall correctly, it's been a couple of years since I read it, he goes into the Kingpin's building, goes into his office, and murders the Kingpin in disguise because he just like pretends to be someone else and he's able to take down the great like the biggest criminal threat right away. Oh, I man. do not want anyone to do anything nefarious. No, don't with don't this. be like Frank Castle. But you know, no. like I would love to put on a different look and just be someone different for a while. 
I would also love to do that just because I don't know what I look like to other people. And if I could choose and then walk around knowing the kind of power that I could have looking like what I look like, then um, as a control freak, I think I would find that really enjoyable. And then you can laugh and like scurry up the side of a building. Oh, my God. That would be so fun. Yeah. So let us know what you would do if you had a symbiote partner of your own. Use the hashtag This Week in Marvel. You can email us at twimpodcast at marvel.com. That's it for this week's episode. We had a good one. We did. Yeah. This is Marvel. Your universe. <laughs>